for History Matters. We are joined in the studio by Scott Washington, historian extraordinaire, as we are every week at this time, to catch up on This Week in History. Good morning. How are you? Good morning, Aaron. Well, when people hear you speak, they're thinking, well, is that just recorded? It's not. It's live. I'm standing right here. It's incredible. Right now it's live, yeah. (laughs) There are plenty of times over the course of the day when I'm speaking and it is pre-recorded. Right now, I am standing here in the studio. It's as if I'm right here. Okay, good. Well, this is a, you know, the the great thing about history, as you know, is not just... um, the events that happen, it's the people that we bump into that become these fascinating folks that we go, who is this? And there's a couple of uh, dates that come up this week um, that trip us into the people. Uh, One of them is September 4th, 1893. Um, This is a date when uh, a young woman writes a letter to the child of her governess. Now this governess named Annie Moore uh, in England uh, was only three years older than um, her student uh, named B. And uh, B, um, uh, she taught her German and how to be a woman's companion. And as was popular in that time, uh, women did not necessarily go to college. They were privately educated. And B had uh, just a wonderful education. Uh, she also had an incredibly inquisitive mind, excelled in science, uh, actually did a lot with fungi, and there weren't like cameras you could take pictures of, so people drew, and she did too, became a very good illustrator, very uh, uh, conscious of using language, uh, and maybe that's how it might have ended, except that this governess, who would uh, she developed a lifelong relationship with um, and friendship with, is uh, had eight children, and one of these children... Uh, was recovering from scarlet fever, and so B was writing uh, to him. His uh, he's a five-year-old named Noel, and she just kind of ran out of things to say. And she said, <laughs> "Well, uh, let me tell you a little story." So she writes this little story, and she illustrates it because she's very good. She sends it off. This is in 1893, and on September 4th. And then the years go by, and around 1900. Um, her friend now, this former governess, who's only three years older, says, you know, these might make really interesting little books. And she thinks about it and says, all right. And luckily, uh, her friend, the governess, has kept all of these wonderful little stories in letters that had been sent over the years. And so B gets them back and starts uh, illustrating. Well, she, she can uh, adapt them. And she takes them to a publisher, and then publisher after publisher turns it out. No, 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 no market for this. This is ridiculous. So she decides to privately publish it. She does, and um, it's uh, it comes to the attention of another publisher who says, oh, this would really be good. Can mm-hmm. we publish it? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, you can. And it takes off. And uh, it's so successful, printing after printing, and the um, I want I want you to pause for a second just so everyone can get into their heads their guess of who you're talking about here. I know that's right. You know who could this but be? But who are we talking about? Okay, keep okay, going. Okay, well uh, this is a nice rest of the story. That's right. Story. This is yeah. exactly, and um, that's why uh, this is a name we'll know right away. That woman B Beatrix Potter, and of course the letter she writes on September fourth, eighteen ninety three, is the first story of Peter Rabbit. And then this gets published. But what's more amazing is that not only is it wonderfully successful, uh, but she's the first person to think about merchandising and actually develops 
uh, a whole series of merchandise around Peter Rabbit dolls, Peter Rabbit everything. So that when you see things in the movie like here's the merchandise, you can all go back to Beatrice Potter who made this connection and said, this is a, a great idea. I like how it started with illustrations. Yes. Like that she was an illustrator oh, and then wrote the yes. story around the illustrator. Like oh, that's and, really, really and, cool. And she was so good because it was having to do about nature. And another thing, she was very careful about language. One of the, uh, the, the first revision, the only really revision she made in her words was um, in uh, 1902, it had gone through three printings, and then she realized there was one, one phrase, Peter wept big tears, and she said, I want to change that to Peter shed big tears. You read these little books, correct, yeah. they're very, they're not played down to children like we're not going to, we're going to make uh, you the, the dumbest, easiest language. No, they're actually respectful of language. Uh, this is such a side <laughs> note, but I'm hearing you tell this story, and it just kind of clicked in my head for the first time. Like so many of us now, today... Right find ourselves leading really, really busy lives and not yes. like feeling like we're not able to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. And right. a lot of that stems from the fact that we, that none of us live lives of leisure, right? Not right. only do we no. have jobs, we've also got house stuff to yes. do and kids to take care of. And most of us don't have people to do all that side work right. for us so that we can devote ourselves to uh, the the finer pursuits, right. and that's why we don't, you know, write the great American novel or record the great American <laughs> album. The people who historically have been able to do that, the right. painters and the writers and everything, are the yes. ones who were able to live those lives of leisure, who had people to do all of those things for them right. so that they could devote all of the rest of their time to doing that. And it occurred to me as you were saying this, man... Like we talk so much about, like in the 19th century and 20th century, right. especially, like upper middle class women were so strongly discouraged yes. from going into the workplace or doing stuff right. around, like we hire governesses and things to do. Like that would have been such a, like we talk about that as like a negative thing right. because like women can't do the things that they want to do. Yeah. But that would have been such a golden opportunity for women to produce great works of art like Beatrix Potter did had they not also been strongly discouraged from right. writing and going to college and getting educated. This, this and it's people like Beatrix Potter who right. actually had that opportunity and like Charlotte Perkins Gilman and Virginia Woolf and all of these other people who had that rare opportunity produced all these amazing works and what a missed opportunity yes. it was. Like how many great novels and paintings and stories and poems did we Are miss because discovered. we were, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. and we'll never be That's discovered right. because they were like, they never got down on paper. That's right. It's well, sad. And, and in the anyway. case of Beatrix Potter, she <laughs> gets not only the science background but it's also the classics. She's a, so when she writes this, it's not like, oh, I can make this into a book. No, she's writing a letter of consolation yeah. to a little boy who's recovering and thinks it would be a great story. It's, that's, it's that and specific it's combination great. of you have to have people <laughs> doing all of your work for you and also be encouraged to do your own work right. so that you can focus on this other thing. Well, she uh, The real privileged people are the ones who can produce all this well, stuff. That's, and in this case, that, there, there certainly is uh, an element to this that otherwise she would have been just kind of we would not, not have known anything about her right. except what happens. But she does have this ambition to share this story, realizes it's good. Uh, she becomes uh, wealthy, and she purchases property in the Highland District, 
loves it, in fact, bequeaths property uh, that is still now available to the public because of her conservation efforts, which is a wonderful kind of a, a testimony of a great life lived, of taking advantage of opportunity. Had so much, gave so much. Speaking with Scott Washington, History Matters, we spent the entire time talking about Beatrix Potter, but we got okay. time for two more quick ones. Okay, when we well, got. here is one. Uh, is a, it's actually a birthday, uh, September 8th, 1954. Um, uh, she was uh, born in Mississippi, uh, in poverty, her family moves to New Orleans uh, at the uh, age of four. And then it's 19, now remember 1954, Brown versus Board of Education, Topeka, Kansas. Uh, there can't be uh, racial segregation in schools. Okay, should be the law. Well, it's not everybody's following it. And here it is, 1960. Uh, she's ready to go into school, uh, but the school district says, well, you have to pass a test. Uh, well, there's like six African-American children. She's one of them, and the only one who says, I want to still go to this school, her parents say, yes, it's a white school. There is immediately pushback, and um, she goes ahead. Uh, her family puts her in despite uh, enormous pressure, and uh, you may recall Norman Rockwell's picture of, of the little girl with the four marshals, yep. uh, and that, uh, that's Ruby Bridges, who is still alive today. Um, and um, she goes to school, and thank goodness she has a teacher, Barbara Henry, a, a, a white uh, uh, Boston native who is the only teacher for the entire year. And by the end of that year, then people are like, well, I'm bringing my kids back to school because it's just too inconvenient, and life goes on. Uh, but there's a person who also maybe said had so little and did so much mm. and has continued in her life to push for uh, tolerance and diversity, uh, and uh, these are the kind of voices we really need. There's someone who started who did a lot with very little. Yes, so, yeah. yes. One okay. up on Beatrix Potter. Yes, and here's one that is a date, finally, that comes up uh, this week. Um, it is uh, on uh, September 8th, 1892, when uh, a, a something is published in a magazine. And uh, to kind of give you the backstory. Um, there was this uh, magazine, I think defunct now, called Youth's Companion, and they hired this uh, fellow, uh, Daniel, I mean, named Francis uh, uh, Julius Bellamy, to start working on this campaign, which was to put a, a flag. It was a kind of a promotional campaign to put a flag in every school, and it's rolling along. And then they're realizing at the 400th anniversary of Columbus. Uh, quote-unquote discovering America. They said, oh, we want to do something, especially there's a World Fair coming up in 1893. And so on September 8th, uh, 1892, this uh, edition of Youth's Companion includes this new pledge to go with the flag. And it's real simple. I think you probably will recognize it. I pledge allegiance to my flag and to the republic for which it stands, one nation indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Of course, we know this as what becomes the Pledge of Allegiance that countless school children over many generations have recited every morning uh, in public schools. And he, but the interesting thing is that Bellamy uh, thought of it, and you know, the 1890s, if you've ever seen uh, Martin Scorsese's Gangs of New York, right. uh, where there was a great deal of, uh, 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 oh, uh, prejudice against immigrants, um, and that movie that shows, well, it was pretty accurate. So Bellamy thought this would be kind of an inoculation, you might say, against that by saying this is something that we all need to know, especially 
even native-born Americans against radicalism and uh, subversion uh, to say this is something that we should all believe in. And I think these are things that when we look at these great people in history, time and again, they're finding ways that touch the human heart with hope and with uh, courage. Should also note Francis Bellamy was a socialist, so for yeah. all of those right-wingers who say socialism <laughs> is all about radicalism and, and, uh, Every time you and incursion, <laughs> yeah, uh, just so you know. And that, that is right. how history matters. Scott Washington, thank, thank you so you much. Aaron.